0: Now, from Isaiah, the sixth chapter, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on the throne, high and exalted. Above him were seraphs, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their eyes, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth ...is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doors and the threshold shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried out, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Then one of the seraphs flew and took a live coal, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my lip with it and said, See! your guilt is forgiven and your sin is atoned for then i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here i am send me this is the word of the lord thanks be to god be seated please do you remember where you were when the planes on 911 ran into the tower do you remember that On that day, we were in a pastor's meeting, and I remember that distinctly. But do you remember where you turned your attention after you got the news? I remember we as pastors first went down to the small chapel and prayed. But soon, for me, that passed, and my attention turned to the radio, to the Internet, to phone calls from my wife for what she had heard or had seen on the TV And all the news media began to get my attention more than the chapel. Where do you turn in crisis? There was a major crisis 740 years before Jesus in Judah, in the Jerusalem area. for the king that they had had for 52 years died. His name was King Uzziah. Most of his reign was pretty good. Uh, The last ten years were a little shaky, but most of it was good. And one of the wonderful things he did is he protected them from the most powerful army and the nastiest people on the face of the earth, the Assyrians. They were well known for torturing and and plundering uh, when they would conquer territories. But he had protected Judah and Israel from them. But now he was dead. Now he was dead. It was a crisis Will the Assyrians now again come knocking on the door Where did Isaiah turn in the crisis? Did he go down to the palace to see what the new king's policy would be in this crisis? We're not told that he did. Did he go out to the front lines to see if the Assyrians were coming down the road toward Jerusalem? We're not told that he did. We're told that what happened to Isaiah in this moment of great crisis was he got a vision of God. A vision of God. Where were you? Where were you when the stock market began to crash and tumble in October of this past year? Do you remember what you were doing and what had your attention? I was in Israel. And in Turkey, we were looking at the footsteps of the disciples of Jesus. And because of the eight-hour time difference, we could get up early in the morning and we could catch the evening national news from the United States. And we saw the stocks as they fell. And we listened to the argument about the bailout. Would they ever come to agreement about it? Would would they vote on a bailout? Would people get on the same page? And we watched. But to be real honest, it didn't seem to matter very much. Because most of our attention for 15, 16 hours a day during that time was on Jesus who he was, where he walked, and the people who followed him. Where do you put your attention? in a crisis a lot of people put it in the media what they have to say and they look for experts and they wait for the latest word but there will be others like isaiah who will turn to god and get a vision here's my suggestion this morning what we need in this time of crisis in our country is not more information from dave ramsey jane bryant quinn susie orman the treasury secretary whenever they get here that's not what we need what we need is information about god on the throne eugene peterson the author of the jesus way years before he wrote this book was asked in an interview as a pastor what do you do when people come to you in crisis and they want it fixed but you know that it can't be easily fixed he said the most important thing i do he said is to try to give them of a A vision of a God who is bigger than their crisis. The most important thing I do, he said, is try to get them into a place of worship. You see, what happened to Isaiah in his vision is he saw a God that was so big that the hem of his robe was bigger than the Jerusalem temple. The hem of his robe couldn't even fit in this building. That's how big God was. A vision of the size of God. Were you here last week? Did did you hear Hugh Ross, the astrophysicist? Depending on the message, I understood about 20% of one, about 30% of another, about 40% of a third. But one thing I did figure out is God's pretty big. God's a lot bigger than I can imagine. And one of the things that happens is then crises take on appropriate proportion. Isaiah realized that the biggest thing to worry about was not the Assyrian army and where they would move next that the biggest thing that Isaiah was going to have to worry about was dealing with this king who would be on the throne forever. Jesus one time said, Don't fear people who can kill the body. Fear the one who can take the soul. Or as another writer puts it, Worry only about the person who, when you're dead, is not finished with you yet. And that's the king. And everything else compared to that king is just a straw man. Just a scarecrow of little power, significance, or endurance compared to that. The most important thing we can do in this crisis is not look to the news, not look to the experts, but look to God. What we need is a vision of God. And as Roger pointed out, the children, one of the places we get that vision is in worship. You are doing the very thing that you need to be doing. And you're even doing it on spring break and a time change. This is a good start. But you need to know this, though. Truth be told, once you start to get a vision of God, the next thing after you begin to see and glimpse God is you begin to see yourself differently. When Isaiah got a picture of how big God was, then Isaiah realized how small Isaiah was and how sinful Isaiah was, and he said, Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. I can't stand up in the face of this. Isaiah knew himself to fall short of God's glory. I'm reminded of Paul who saw the resurrected Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And years later, he would write Timothy who lived in Ephesus and he said to him, I am the worst of sinners. Was Paul really that bad a guy? No, but he had seen himself in comparison to the glory of God. One of the things that happens when you get a vision of God is you get a vision of yourself and and you begin to see things in right proportion And you realize the person who's so big that the hem of their robe can't fit, not only in this building, can't even fit on this planet. And things take on the right size. But then also, he began to realize that if he was in trouble, so were other people. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a land of people with unclean lips. Lips is an interesting side note to chase down sometime, but the reason some people believe that Isaiah picked it is he knew whatever comes out of your mouth is an overflow of what started in your heart, that your lips are often the most in, best indicator of the condition of your soul. If you don't believe it, just wait till the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic. and, and see how you handle it. And that will be what's brewing in there. But Isaiah knew he was in trouble. Isaiah knew his people were in trouble, and Isaiah knew this. The real crisis is not there. It's not in New York. It's not in Tokyo. It's not in London. The real crisis, Isaiah knew, is in here. People live broken, sinful, and hurting lives. But this is what Isaiah learned, is that God loves people in the midst of their brokenness. An angel flew with, a tong, with tongs, had taken a coal from the altar, touched it to Isaiah's lip, and says, See, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And basically in our English we'd say, Look, you're forgiven. I know you've messed up. You know you've messed up. I want you to know how deeply you're loved. And then look what happens in that forgiveness. After that happens, Isaiah says, I'll go for you, God. I'll go. I know we're in crisis, but I'll go back into that crisis because I know you love me. You see, what happens in the story is a king dies, but a prophet is born. What happens in the story is a world is in crisis and someone is commissioned to go in and face that crisis. And the important thing that happens is they get a picture of God who's bigger than any problem they have. They get a picture of themselves as in trouble, but then they get a picture of themselves as forgiven and loved even in the midst of all the mistakes they made. And here's what I want you to know this morning. Never, ever attempt to go and fix the world's crisis without first knowing how deeply you are loved and how much you have been forgiven. Most of the damage done by Christians in the world are people who get some sort of vision of the of the power and might of God and they decide they're going to go straighten everybody else out. But they haven't received God's love. And so what they do is they basically inflict God's anger on the world, which is up only to God. It's not our prerogative instead of projecting God's love to the world. Look, the world's in crisis. People are in crisis. The one thing they need to know more than anything else is they are loved for who they are just as they are in Jesus Christ. And only a person who knows they are loved can go and take that message to them. How many times have we watched well-meaning religious people hurt other people deeply? And usually at the core of it is they never had the cold touch their lips. They never realized that God loved them not because they got it right, but God loved them even when they got it wrong. Those are the kind of people that the world needs. The world doesn't need perfect people. The world needs people who know they are loved and forgiven. And that's who needs to go out there. And those people who have a vision of God as powerful but also have a vision of God as loving. Those are the people who ought to go into the world. This fall, we were in uh, Turkey, in Asia Minor, where Christianity just spread like wildfire, even in the midst of persecution. Uh, But after a couple centuries, things ran into trouble. People lost their ardor, their passion, their compassion, and pretty much the faith was left in the hands of some hermits called monks. And there was a man named Telemachus who lived in Turkey. He was a monk and raised pigs to, to, uh, for a living. He was a pig farmer. But one day he got a vision of God. And in this vision of God, the loving God said, Telemachus, I want you to go to Rome and I want you to stop the gladiator fights. Put an end to this blood sport. So, the simple little hermit with no plans, but filled with the love of God and a word from God, made his long journey to Rome. Got to the Colosseum; it wasn't hard to find. It seats fifty thousand people. Sure enough, gladiatorial fights were going on, and blood was being shed. He walked into the stands and began to call out to the people to stop the senseless violence. He began to tell them this wasn't what God wants. That God is a God of love. And very few people heard him during the roars of the crowd, and those who did hear him laughed at him. So he knew that plan wasn't working, so he quit yelling at the people. And he simply went down to the floor of the Coliseum to get in the middle of the gladiator fight. Somebody saw him run on the field ruining their game, and so they threw a stone at him. Somebody else from the stands threw a stone at him. Another one threw a stone at him and hit him. And blood began to be drawn. The gladiators annoyed with him. One of them ran a sword through him. And then other stones came. And soon, bleeding under a pile of stones, the little pig farmer monk, who had a picture of God and God's love, died. But a funny thing happened. As he died there on the floor of the Colosseum, one person watching what had happened got disgusted and got up and left. And another person got up and left, and soon ten people got up and left, and soon a hundred people got up and left, and soon in silence a thousand people got up and left, and soon the Colosseum was empty there in 404. And the gladiator bouts never returned to that Colosseum. Whom shall we send? Who will go for us, asked God. And the answer I have is people who have a vision of the love of God in their life and carry that love to the world. Those are the people who ought to go.